I'm Tina, and you're listening to The Sugly Beauty Business. Ugh, guys. I'm so sorry. Today, we're going to be talking about Washington State and SB 5326, which, spoiler alert, has died. It's all gone. You don't need to worry about it anymore. It was wiped away. But uh, because I want to make sure that this particular article has an audio version, I'm going to go ahead and record it anyways. I feel like this information is still a really important lesson in learning how to read proposed legislation. So let's get into it. First things first, State Bill 5326 bears absolutely no resemblance to the Dynamex ruling in California. The Dynamex ruling was a clarification and simplification of existing worker classification standards, which was previously referred to as the Borello test. Dynamex was clearly designed to address the damage being done to California's workers by the gig economy, like Uber, and similar businesses that, for whatever reason, perhaps selective ignorance, didn't understand the 11-factor Borello test. Today, I'm going to break down every element of Washington State's proposed bill, including all of the amendments and additions and developments that happened, but here's the short version. State Bill 5326 would have prohibited someone who holds a salon and shop license from renting space to people at the licensed location. Pay attention to those words there. When reading legislation, it's important to consider the language used and ask why the legislators chose those exact words and phrases. Is there an easier way to communicate a broad prohibition against booth rental? Absolutely. Both New Jersey and Pennsylvania provide excellent examples, but we'll get to them in a little while. Most people read bills and take what they read at face value without paying close attention to the details of the wording and the established facts, none of which are as straightforward and intuitive as we'd like for them to be. If you assume all salon owners are required to have a salon and shop license, then you're going to read SB 5326 as a prohibition against rental entirely. However... If you read it with the assumption that landlords who provide co-working spaces to beauty professionals aren't required to have a salon and shop license, then you're more likely to interpret it as a prohibition against a landlord practicing cosmetology in the same facility where they lease co-working space to beauty professionals. It seems like Washington is telling salon owners you are either a landlord or you are a salon owner. You cannot be both, at least not in the same building. The problem we've had with booth rental and hybrid salons as an industry are that salon landlords tend not to know their place. States see these landlords working in the salon, calling themselves the salon owner, and often exerting controls over the renters they have no right to exert. Their labor departments get bogged down in wage complaints and misclassification reports from beauty professionals to the point that legislators take notice and start devising solutions not only because it hurts their workforce and creates an atmosphere of unfair competition, but because the states themselves lose tax revenue, a problem exacerbated by the increased pressure being placed on the agencies tasked with enforcing existing state wage and labor laws. Because renters, who are considered salon shop owners and people who perform personal services, are required to attain and maintain their own salon shop licenses in Washington, a proper landlord who isn't practicing as a salon professional within the facility, should be able to rent space, since I don't see any regulation obligating them to hold salon shop licenses themselves. 
Salon landlords who are in the business of leasing space to beauty professionals do not technically own businesses that provide personal services to customers. So they only appear to be required to hold a certificate of registration, which is not a salon or shop license. It appears that salon landlords who only lease space and do not perform services on clients wouldn't be required to hold a salon or shop license any more than they'd be required to hold a cosmetology license since they are not operating as salon businesses or performing services. Now we're going to get into the longer version. Before we can consider the act itself, we have to understand what it relates to. Specifically, the bill amends three different laws, RCW 50.04.225, and 82.04.360. RCW 50.04.225, summarized, basically states that booth renters are not considered employed. The word employment doesn't apply to them. SB 5326 would amend this to carve out an exemption for licensed barbers who pay a fee for the use of a barbershop and receive no compensation from the owner of the barbershop for the services performed. So, booth renting barbers. RCW 82.04.360 is a further clarification of the exemptions applied to independent contractors and booth renters. Basically, it says, booth renters are independent contractors for the purposes of the section and the law. When we use those words, that's what we mean. SB 5326 would amend 3A of this statute, removing cosmetology from the list of services performed, but again, suspiciously does not remove barbering, aesthetics, or manicuring services. This specific carve-out for barbers and specialists is extremely fishy and something you should be asking questions about. I can see no logical reason for carving out barbers and the specialists exclusively, so if you're going to start a riot over anything, start there. There's no valid reason for cosmetologists to be excluded from these amendments. Demand to know why. Everything beyond that seems very straightforward. RCW 51.12.020 provides list of people who are excluded from the mandatory coverage of Title 51, people who are required to be covered by industrial hazard insurance. SB 5326 would remove number 12, services performed by a booth renter, from that list, removing all renters, including barbers and specialists apparently, from the list of exempted professions. So salon landlords will have to carry industrial hazard insurance like the majority of other business owners in Washington seem to be required to. Now we're getting to the new regulations proposed on page one of the bill. These will be added to RCW 18.16, Washington State's Cosmetology Regulations. Summarize, these amendments state, first, the obvious, renters are denied eligibility for unemployment insurance and industrial insurance. This exemption gives rental salon owners an unfair advantage since they're skipping out on those costs. That's why 51.12.020 exempt renters from that list, making salon landlords carry the appropriate hazard insurance so those renters are covered and protected. Really, this would likely work out best for salon landlords, as it might keep them from being sued by their renters for injuries that occur in their facility. But the intricacies of Washington's insurance regulations are above my pay grade and beyond my willingness to research. Two, a prohibition disallowing anyone who holds a salon shop license from renting, leasing, or subleasing at the license location. This may mean a broad restriction against rental, but it might not. The wording makes it seem as if the prohibition disallows hybrid, which is mixed employment and rental, salons. 
Until we receive clarification from the bill's sponsors, no one can say for certain, but this might mean that salon owners who want to rent space will have to separate their rental businesses from their salon businesses legally and physically by establishing two separate business entities and two separate locations. One of the reasons everyone should settle down, rental isn't exactly entirely prohibited in any U.S. state, including New Jersey and Pennsylvania. New Jersey and Pennsylvania have banned chair rental, not suite rental. Both Sola and Phoenix, among others I'm sure, have open locations in both states. In an article with Trib Live, which I linked in the show notes, the owners of the Pennsylvania Sola location said it wasn't easy getting the approval for the business because booth rental, specifically chair rental, is prohibited, but they were vetted by the state board. Oddly enough, both New Jersey and Pennsylvania use similar language to that found in SB 5326 in their own regulations, but they are much more blunt about that prohibition on chair and booth rental. Jersey says, Leasing space prohibited. No owner of a shop license shall lease or sublease space or provide space on the license premises to a non-employee for the purposes of providing cosmetology and hairstyling, beauty culture, barbering, manicuring, skin care specialty, or ancillary services as part of a separate business to be conducted by the non-employee. Practices commonly known as chair rentals or booth rentals are prohibited by this section. Pennsylvania says, Booth rental prohibited. The rental of booth space by an owner of a cosmetology salon or the owner of a salon limited to aesthetics, nail technology, or natural hair braiding to any holder of a license issued under this act is unlawful. Notice the wording. Holder of a shop license. And an owner of a cosmetology salon. Similar, right? Definitely not identical, though. They really hammer that prohibition against rental down with language nobody could creatively and conveniently misinterpret. We could research the details of facility licensing in New Jersey and Pennsylvania the way I have with Washington State, but honestly, it's late. I've been fielding emails and comments about this every waking hour for the last week, and I'm too tired to care. The wording seems pretty clear, and the surrounding facts, specifically the existing legally operating rental facilities currently operating in both New Jersey and Pennsylvania, support my hypothesis. States like New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Washington don't appear to have any objection to properly structured rental businesses. They seem to object to inappropriately managed hybrid salons and landlords who don't know their role. As with Dynamax, I suspect that the only people who are likely to be affected by this are salon owners who operate their own cosmetology businesses and rent space to professionals in the same facility. Until we receive clarification, I recommend not signal boosting the hysteria, especially if you live in Washington State. Instead of spending hours speculating about SB 5326 online, do what I did and spend 10 minutes composing an email and sending it to the people who are most capable of answering your questions. I feel strongly that my assessment is likely to be correct, specifically because the rental chains aren't all over the media about this. If this threatens Sola or any of the other sweet businesses, without a doubt, they'd be too loud about it to ignore. If corporate interests are unconcerned, generally there's a reason for it. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't be in the ears of those Washington state legislators about those suspicious-looking carve-outs, though. So fast forward to January 23rd, 2019. Section 2 of SB 5326 was removed after hundreds of hairdressers complained about the proposal. There was a petition on change.org that was up to over 55,000 signatures. 
To be clear, removal of Section 2 did not remove the prohibition against a practicing salon owner from leasing space. So, as it stood at that point, practicing cosmetologists couldn't lease space to other practicing cosmetologists. SB 5326 still put salon owners in a position to choose a career as a landlord or a salon professional. The requirement to either cease practicing or split your businesses into two distinct entities still existed. Representative Matt Shea called SB 5326 a solution in search of a problem. And as someone who has worked in this industry and is all too familiar with the exploitation that occurs in many rental salons, while I can't agree with the notion that a problem doesn't exist at all, I can agree that his assessment of SB 5326 was largely accurate. Shea also said that SB 5326 unnecessarily and unfairly targeted women, which is absolutely correct. The carve-out for barbers and specialists were illogical and utterly indefensible. I find Senator Kaiser's claim that the original bill was simply a proposal for tax fairness as laughable as her claim that a small hair salon in Spokane was alone in instigating this debacle. While the president and CEO of Jean Juarez denied that he was among the business owners pushing for the bill, he appeared to support it, saying, myself and this company agrees that everybody in this industry should be held to the same standard. He also claimed he is not and will never be against booth rentals, but supports the tax fairness initiative. However, if tax fairness were the true goal of this bill, those exceptions for barbers and specialists wouldn't have existed at all. Everybody in the industry should include everybody in the industry, not just cosmetologists. If state legislators truly desire tax fairness and level playing fields for business owners, they need to start by enforcing existing employment classification laws and punishing people who are already in violation, stealing wages, evading taxes, exerting inappropriate control over their self-employed professionals, and enjoying the lower costs and liabilities that come with those illegal tactics. Business owners are already ignoring and willfully violating existing wage and classification laws without consequence. Without adequate enforcement of existing legislation, passing new laws will accomplish absolutely nothing, serving as a symbolic victory at best. Fast forward again to January 24th, 2019, when it was announced that SB 5326 would be going back to the drawing board. Senator Kaiser announced that she removed the section banning booth rentals and has expanded the scope of the bill to include barbers. Common sense dictates that level playing fields, by nature of their definition, need to be level. In the article that I wrote about this whole thing, I encourage professionals to keep the pressure up and to actually physically attend the public hearing in Olympia on Monday to let the Senate Committee on Labor and Commerce know exactly what they thought of SB 5326. I gave them the resources they needed to learn how Washington State expected them to testify so they could prepare accordingly. A lot of people took that advice and actually followed through. So... Fast forward to January 30th of 2019. Senator Karen Kaiser released a statement on January 28th regarding the public hearing on SB 5326, where she continued to claim the original bill was not fully understood as a proposal for tax fairness, which remains its primary goal. I've provided the link in the show notes and in the actual article where you can read that entire statement. In it, Senator Kaiser presents two different salons an employment-based salon with six stylists, each of whom generate $50,000 a year, resulting in $300,000 of revenues annually that the salon owner must pay B&O taxes on, which are gross receipt taxes in the state of Washington. 
The second salon is a rental salon with six renters, each of whom generate $50,000 a year, resulting in the same amount of gross sales. But because each individual renter operates as a separate small business and none of their revenues are high enough to meet the $56,000 B&O minimum tax rate, those $300,000 are exempt from B&O taxes. Senator Kaiser doesn't seem to understand that she's making an unequal comparison, nor that this tax unfairness situation wouldn't be unique to our industry. First of all, the $300,000 in gross receipts are not the same. You are comparing the combined gross receipts of a salon with six employees to six independently owned and operated micro salons, each with $50,000 of revenue. Each business must be seen as separate entities. The gross receipts of six combined small businesses may equal $300,000, but they are not comparable because they are not operating as a single entity. Each has different management, different costs, different strategies for offsetting those costs, different services, different products, different protocols, and most importantly, each one of those independent businesses has exactly one employee who also happens to be the owner. Stop comparing apples to astronauts and make a comparison that makes sense. The only situation in which the B&O threshold isn't fair is one in which a booth renter or landlord who generates over $56,000 is somehow exempt, which isn't the case. In this statement, Senator Kaiser claims to have modeled her bill on those found in New Jersey and Pennsylvania, bills that did effectively ban booth rental in those states. So that invalidates her claim that the bill wasn't intended to ban booth rental. But you know what? Those laws didn't solve the problem of tax unfairness in either state. If tax fairness is truly the issue, lower the B&O threshold for all businesses. SB 5326 only curves this quote-unquote problem in one industry. What about the other sole proprietorships generating less than $56,000 annually? Why are beauty professionals being singled out on account of our profession? What makes our activities more taxable than those of other self-employed business owners? What about a bookkeeper who leaves their job and goes into business for themselves, renting a desk in a co-working facility? What makes her $50,000 annually any different than ours? What about a tech consultant who leaves their consulting firm and starts their own solo practice from home? What makes her $50,000 annually any different than ours? What about attorneys, tax preparers, general contractors, real estate agents, domestic workers, home health care professionals, freelancers, and professional tutors? What about literally all of the other solo business owners in every industry? What makes their revenue less taxable than ours? Tell me again how this creates fairness. Senator Kaiser is proposing that our small businesses should be subjected to taxes that other small businesses are exempt from. There's absolutely nothing fair about that. Following this outrageous debacle, I again encourage Washington professionals very vocally on social media and on my blog to attend another public hearing and confront Senator Kaiser directly. That hearing did not go well. Senator Kaiser was visibly irritated, very dismissive of the professionals and outright rude to several of them. But in the end, the professionals in Washington state won. This bill ended up getting completely scrapped. So you can be successful as a group in making legislative change and stopping bills that make no sense. Because remember, a lot of these legislators who are out there writing these bills and rewriting legislation 
are doing so with very little practical information. They don't have a clue what this industry goes through or what it's like to work in it. So they don't fully understand our problems. And the only way they can understand them is if we show up and we speak out. Otherwise, a handful of people are going to be delivering narratives that are going to shape laws that affect all of us. And generally, that small group of people who are influencing legislators and getting all up in their ear are corporate salons. I'm not saying that all corporate salons are inherently evil. I'm a pro-corporate person. I love working in a corporate environment. I much prefer them. But let's not pretend that they have all of our best interests in mind because they generally do not. So this is kind of a precursor to other posts and podcast episodes that are going to be coming every time there's a legislative threat to our industry. Currently, there's one going on in Texas right now, but this literally happens all the time. It's every other month, every three months, you hear about another bill being proposed that would either deregulate our profession in a state or would impose serious barriers to our ability to do business. And I want to make sure that you guys are informed about what these bills mean. So you guys are panicking about the right things at the right times and not letting things that aren't valid concern you or stress you out. Because when these bills come out, what we tend to see are just these panic, screaming, doomsday naysayers who come out of the woodwork. And it's like they intentionally choose to misread the laws and the other proposals just to stir everybody up. And usually it's because they have an agenda. Just as in Dynamex, a lot of the panic that was caused when the ABC test was put into place was completely irrational. And it was the result of salon owners who just didn't want to play by the rules. So we're going to be doing this in the future. If you're not into legislative stuff, feel free to skip these episodes because I know it can be a lot. It might even be easier for you guys to just read the actual posts. Like I said, there are a ton of links in them that you can click, you can read for yourself and verify, check my sources, do whatever you got to do. Um, comments are always open if you have any questions, but that's all I've got for today. I've already been talking way too long. I don't know if you guys realize this, but this is like the sixth podcast episode in a row I've had to record because I am so far behind on getting these recorded, edited, and uploaded. I also spent like three hours recording class, so I'm starting to lose my voice. But I'm here for you, and I've got this. So until next time, I hope you guys have a really great week. Bye.